0: we find is that our struggle with believing in the hope of the resurrection is really a struggle believing in the word and power of God. Can he do the things he says he will do or or, or can't he? Is at the end of the day the question. And we are a people in great need of resurrection and hope. The truth that death uh, doesn't win, that our, our pains aren't in vain, that there is something greater in front of us, not just this life on repeat, but this life glorified, You need them, I need them. It's the only thing that will help us survive. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that because God is the God of the living, our future is alive, it's resurrection. Our pains are not our end but glory, glory is. This is what we find in this kind of situation this morning just to resituate us in this story. We're in the last week of Jesus' life here in the Gospel Mark, we're in the middle of the week. And this confrontation he has comes in a long line of confrontations, right? Since Jesus has entered the city, uh, the Jewish leaders have come and and tried to trip Jesus up. And it's this group called the Sanhedrin, which is the highest form of authority in the land for the Jews. And it's made up of three different groups of people. And this this group has come to Jesus to to test him, to say, where's your authority from? And so they collectively come to him and that didn't work out so well. And so now they're sending the different groups and they're kind of testing him on their own. So last week it was the Pharisees trying to trip him up on, on taxes, and this week it's the group called the, the Sadducees, who have come to to find fault in Jesus on his ideas on the resurrection. And so as we consider the resurrection this morning, and there's, there's two things I think we're going to see, and they're these. We're going to see the challenge to the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection. So first, the challenge to the resurrection. Look with me back here, verse 18, it says, and the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. And so the the Sadducees, another line of these groups, they come in to challenge Jesus to catch him, making a mistake, Uh, and so they try to create this impossible scenario for him. And and Mark is showing us uh, their motive by, by telling us that the Sadducees actually don't believe in the resurrection, or as the joke goes, you know, that's why they were sad, you see. Um... Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, so this is their uh, foundational premise, is that the supernatural doesn't uh, ex- exist. And, uh, and so they're coming to trip them up on something that they don't even believe. And it's, it's also important to note that you know, they didn't believe in angels uh, in, in, or anything supernatural. And they were kind of the competing Jewish leaders of the day to the, to the Pharisees. Oh. So they were kind of opposite in the Pharisees in so many ways. Like they didn't even believe uh, in the, the prophets, in the, the wisdom literature as being scripture. They only held to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, as being actually God's word. In fact, the only thing they really had in common at this time with the, with the, with the Pharisees was that they all wanted Jesus to be dead. And that was, that was what they had in common. And that's kind of what their, their common goal they're working towards. Not a great common goal, I'll, I'll admit it. Um, So, after the Pharisees got their chance, the Sadducees are taking their chance, and so they pose to him this scenario, which they think is impossible to solve. Starting verse 19, we read it again. It says, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife when he died and left no offspring, and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring last. Of all the women also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And so, what they're referring to is this Old Testament law that sought to protect the widow and the the orphan. This is a law that we actually talked a lot about when we went through our series uh, on Ruth last fall, but it's how the next of kin would marry the widow uh, and so on and so forth. And with this law in mind, they devised this kind of over the top. Scenario where this woman would get married eight times. Following the law of God, she gets married eight times. And these are all good and lawful marriages, um, all meant to protect her. Um, and all her husbands, you know, likely died of natural causes, although could you imagine being the, the last brother having to marry her? Um, so then the question is well, then who's she going to be married to uh, in heaven? And, you know, the Sadducees were experts on the law, they knew the law inside and out. They had it memorized. And here they're suggesting that God's law carried to its end actually proves that resurrection is silly talk. Because it's silly that she would be married to eight different men in the resurrection. So they're trying to make this sound as ridiculous as as possible. And this is kind of the philosophical equivalent is the question, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? It's that kind of scenario that they're trying to, to, to conjure up. And So because they can't imagine a solution to this problem... The idea of the resurrection doesn't make sense to them. And this is the challenge they present, as if to say, if this is what Jesus' view of the resurrection actually is, then there is no resurrection of the dead. Because this would actually be opposed to God's law because a woman can't be married to eight men at the same time. And this is, this is the challenge. This is an impossible scenario that they try to put forward. And before we can move on to uh, Jesus' response to them, I think we need to, to take a deep breath and reckon the heart behind the Sadducees question. Because I think we struggle with this kind of thinking too, where if we can't imagine a solution to a problem, we can wrongly assume that that means that there is no solution. And when applied to the topic of resurrection, I think this can be us too. Sure, if I went around this room, you believe in the resurrection. I'm sure many, if not all of you would affirm that. But do we believe that God can resurrect all the dead things we experience in our everyday living? Or do we believe that we're stuck with our addictions, stuck with our anxieties, stuck with worries and pains? Do we believe that the gospel is actually going out into the world like a mustard seed and that one day God's kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven, like, like he promises and tells us will happen? Or do we trust our pessimistic outlook on life because things don't seem that great to us at the moment? question is do you trust yourself more than you trust god do you trust god's word and what he says is true or do you trust what you think is true in your own mind more or right, we struggle to believe because the resurrection actually seems like fantasy to us sometimes doesn't it if we're honest because none of us have ever lived in a resurrected world that is free from the effects of sin it doesn't always make sense to us this this idea it's it's not natural it's supernatural and and this is what challenges us the resurrection is the point that, is, 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 is the point that Jesus uses to turn, to challenge actually the Sadducees. We see this here in verse 24. He says this. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? He says, you are wrong. Jesus is rarely, this says this kind of thing. In fact, it's the only time these words are used in this way in the gospel of Mark. You are wrong. Your assessment of the situation is wrong. Just because you can't imagine it doesn't mean God can't. Just because you don't have the power to resurrect people from the dead doesn't mean God can't, right? Uh, because they have no trust in the power of God here. Their question itself is misguided. The question itself is wrong. The, the question shows that they actually don't know the scriptures that they claim to be experts of. Nor do they trust God's power, right? They, they limit God to their perception of him rather than what he has written in his Word. How do we do the same things? Limiting God to our perception of him. You know, our doubt in the power of the resurrection is ultimately rooted in this lack of understanding about what God says. And a lack of belief that he has the power to do the things that he says he will do. And we are saying in this moment that God's power is limited to our imaginations of God's power. But the great truth of scripture, the great truth of the gospel, of this faith that we put our hope in is that there's something truer than your pains and your struggles, something more powerful than all the weapons of the world and it is the resurrection power. And as Jesus points them and us to the power of God this morning, he points us to his power His power and his word that can accomplish all things and he calls us to hope in what seems impossible, which is the resurrection. There's a the second thing we see about the resurrection here, it's the hope of the resurrection. You know, what's, what's interesting is oftentimes when people come to Jesus and ask him questions, he actually doesn't answer their questions. Uh, and this is one of the few times where he, he actually does take the time to, to give them a glimpse of what resurrection life is like. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Here in verse 25, he says this. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. It's kind of an interesting way to talk about the resurrection life, an interesting glimpse. And what he's saying is, listen, these these Sadducees, they could only imagine a resurrection life that mimicked life that we are now living. And because they're kind of naturalists, right, they don't believe in the supernatural, they thought, hey, everything from here would necessarily transfer into whatever you believe is, is gonna happen in the resurrection, right? The same way that marriage works here and now is gonna be the same way that it works then. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're thinking about this all wrong. It is like this life, but a, but it's but it's without sin. It's it's this life glorified. It's going to be beyond compare. As you know, C.S. Lewis in the end of his Chronicles of Narnia talks about when you when you go into heaven, it's like the greens are, are greener, everything's crisper. It's it's glorified. It's going to be beyond compare. It's going to be joy without end. Right? Psalm sixteen says at the right hand of God, are pleasures forevermore. Right, a world without the curses of sin, it isn't gonna be a one-to-one comparison with this world. It's gonna be hard to imagine. It's gonna be better than the Garden of Eden. It's gonna be Garden of Eden fulfilled as God's kingdom is now covering the whole earth in that new creation world. And he goes on to, to tell us this comparison by saying, listen, you're gonna be like angels. It's kind of the proof for him. He's not saying you're not gonna be angels. You're not gonna have like lots of eyes and like be crazy looking. Um, it's not like that. Uh, but but you're going to be like angels. What does he mean there? I think there's a couple implications that this has for us. For one, angels lived in the presence of God, fully in heaven, the place where God dwells. And the hope of the resurrection is that we will live in perfect harmony in the presence of God for all eternity. I think that's the first natural uh, implication. And, and the other thing here in the context of marriage, angels were not given or taken in marriage. Now, I, Personally, I don't think this necessarily means that there won't be some kind of male or female companionship in heaven. I actually think we have good reason to think that there will be some form of a male and female relationship because before the fall, male and female were incomplete without uh, each other. But whatever that's going to look like in eternity, it's going to be very different than what we experience now. There won't be giving and receiving in marriage like we experience. And the hope is that it will be like life here, a physical existence for all eternity, but glorified relationships without strife. And this is all rooted actually in the gospel of Jesus, right? Who is the husband to the church? Well, Jesus, who does the father give his church to? With well, Jesus, right? The giving and receiving in marriage that's going to happen in eternity is actually Jesus and his church, right? The great A feast that we look forward to each week when we come to the Lord's table is the marriage supper feast of the lamb, which looks forward to that day where our good husband protects us, provides for us, makes a home for us without sin to live in with him in perfect harmony for all eternity. And here Jesus gives this little glimpse of this future resurrection life for us, that it will be glorified living in the presence of God where we will dwell where God dwells and heaven and earth will be one without distinction and is, you know, wild as this idea of the resurrection uh, can be for us. There's always that question how can we be confident of it despite what our eyes see to the contrary? And the answer here in this text is because it has a sure foundation. We see this in verse 26 to 27. He says this, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. He's saying, listen, it's by the power of God that resurrection happens. And notice how Jesus is actually using uh, the first five books of the Bible to prove his point, because he knows the Sadducees will not accept it if he tries to go to the prophets to prove his point. So he goes to the scripture that they do accept uh, to, to prove his point from the from the, the Torah, and he's saying, "Listen, you don't even know your own scriptures. The things that you think you're experts of, you don't even you don't even know them." Uh, in Exodus, uh, when Moses meets with God, God tells Moses who he is. This is the proof of the resurrection. He says, "I am the God of not I was." I am still the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is present. It is active. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are still alive. You know that and this is the great Christian teaching on the resurrection is this that one day when, when you die your, your body is placed in the ground and your soul immediately goes to be with, with God. Where will be until Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on earth once and for all and then your spirit and your body are reunited for all eternity. This is what we believe is true. And this is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are right now. Their spirits are with God uh, in heaven where he dwells. Their spirits are with God in heaven. And this is true because God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Those who are in Christ never really die. And so to be found in God means you will be found in life. This is why Christians love life. This is why Christians historically opened hospitals and started schools and did all the things they did because in fight against unjust things because we are a religion of of life. We fight against unjust things like murder and unjust wars and and abortion. The the Christian religion is a religion of life. And if you have faith in Jesus, you will be found in resurrection life. Death is not your end then, it is your beginning. You know, growing up uh, in the valley, one of my favorite places on earth was Mount Rainier. For me, that would have been like heaven on earth, playing in the woods, hiking the trails, meeting rangers, wanting to be a ranger one day and having a cool vest like they had. It was this magical place for me. Uh, And I think there's this instinct in us that though though we experience pains on this earth, we also experience beauty and joy. And uh, we see the potential of this life and what it could be like if it was glorified. We know that there can be good in the world because we see glimpses of it. Even though it isn't fully realized yet, it is there. And it begs the question for us, what is this eternity with God going to be like? Are we going to camp on mountains? Will we work jobs? Will we ride rhinos? I don't know. But I can tell you it will be greater than anything you could ever hope to imagine. Whatever your favorite thing to do on this earth is. It'll be greater than that moment, better than your best memories, full of glory, full of joy, life abundant, where your past pains and tears will be wiped away. This is the kind of hope that the Sadducees couldn't see because, for all their love of God's law, they didn't actually know it. For all their puffed up knowledge of God, they didn't actually believe in God's power to do the things they thought impossible. Right, they put themselves in the place of God, being the arbiters of what is possible and not possible. And this, in this, there's a warning for us. This, this uh, statement of Jesus is bookended with these strong words, you are wrong. And then doubling down, you are quite wrong. You are severely mistaken. You have missed it. And in this, there's a warning. Don't give in to the temptation of doubt. Pray, I believe, help my unbelief, but believe. Because God is not only capable of resurrection, but He is actively bringing resurrection into the world right now. Right? As Abraham was once promised in Genesis that an eternal covenant, that his legacy would, would outnumber the stars, so shall it be. And so it is happening right now. The church is multiplying. Though the persecution of the church around the world has never been greater, its growth has never been more abundant. The world is still broken. This is true. But there are now more Christians on this earth now than there were people on the planet when Jesus spoke these words. Make no mistake, the kingdom is coming. It is growing. His word promising his kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven is not hyperbole. This is true. This is reality. It couldn't be more serious. And to believe against these truths of scripture is to be quite wrong in the eyes of Jesus. You now It's easy to think for us that God can't do the things that he said he would do. right? To believe our ability to resist him is stronger than God's ability to pursue us. But this is quite wrong, as Jesus tells us. This is the beautiful truth and the hope of this, right? That God's word actually accomplishes what it says it will. The power of God is absolute. He couldn't keep himself from acting on this even if he tried because he is bound to accomplish what he promised he would. To not would go against his very nature. This is why even when you read the Psalms of Lament, oftentimes what they're doing is saying, God, you said you would act this way, now act this way. And this is why we can bring God's word to him in that way. Because this is the promise, that he will right every wrong, that he will heal every wound, that he will raise to life all his children. And the amazing truth of the gospel is that this resurrection life isn't just for the future, but this is something we get to taste now. Now. We're invited to the daily rhythms of dying and rising with Christ, as Christ overcame the grave, so every day in our lives, every pain that you experience, every disappointment, every mini death, you also get to experience the joy of resurrection in those moments. Knowing that Jesus went to the grave and conquered death gives us hope and strength to face any trial because our future of life is sure. So we can stand on the precipice of any storm and say, "Do your worst." We can stand over the grave of a loved one and say, death, where is your sting? We can do this because of Christ. In this, I think it encourages us towards two things. One is faithfulness, right? Believe. And two, patience. His kingdom is coming, but it's slow. Growth doesn't happen overnight. But Christians should be marked with a quiet confidence, trusting, hoping, saying, listen, you can take my life fine, but you cannot take away the life of the church. And in many ways, the martyrs are the seeds of the kingdom where they get hidden to be, uh, for growth to happen, hidden to be revealed as the church grows through the blood of martyrs. So that's the worst that can happen as we can die. But even in this, the kingdom of God grows because God keeps his word. So pray, wait, hope, and patience. Don't give in to the despair, that's easy. Don't give in to the pessimism that might be even creeping into your mind now. Ask a question, but Craig, what about this thing? What about this thing? Don't give in to it, that's easy. Anyone can be pessimistic. But those who believe in the resurrection are people marked with hope. You know, and the beautiful thing about the gospel is that even when we give in to despair, even when we struggle, and we all do, Jesus doesn't. Even when the world overwhelms you, it never overwhelms Christ. He is never surprised by the pain in this world. He will hold you fast. He will see you to the finish line. This is your hope that it is sure and that it is finished by the power of Christ. Praise be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven we give you thanks for the joy of hope that you lay before us in the power of the resurrection. I pray that you would help us all to hold fast to these truths, that you would help us all to believe, to have hope, and even when we struggle, that you'd remind us of joy. You'd remind us of faith and hope and love. Help us to endure to the end believe it in things we can't see because we trust that your word and your power are greater than our eyes. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.